We've been speaking about grace-based families. Last Sunday, I started talking about raising godly children. And this morning, I'm going to talk about training up a child. And using that to bring a conclusion to what I said last Sunday. And uh, so Proverbs 22. In verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that word train, there are three different words that that word train connotes. Or actually, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, that word train has three different words that's used to describe it. And I want to touch on that a little bit before I go back to uh, uh, further uh, make the emphasis that I left off from last Sunday. Now, these instruction or admonition, the concept of training has three words that go with it. Number one, the first one, is the word dedication. Dedication. And actually, this is the most consistent meaning of this word in all of the Old Testament. In other words, when the Bible says train up a child, one of the three words that's been used to describe the word training, first of all, is the word dedication. Okay? Let me go to a scripture to, to properly establish this. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 20, verse 21, verse 21, and I'm going to use the NET translation. Uh, I'm not sure if they have it. Uh, but if, if they, don't, they don't, I'm going to read it. This is what it says. This man Elkanah went up with, his, with all his family to make the yearly sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go up with them. Instead, she told her husband, once the boy's wind, I will bring him and appear before the Lord and he will remain there, he will, he will, he will remain there from then on. Okay, uh, let me jump a little bit here. Verse 27, verse 27, same chapter. I prayed for this boy, and the Lord has given me the request I asked of him. Now, I dedicate him to the Lord. From this time on, is dedicated to the Lord. Then they worshipped the Lord there. Now, there's another scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 63 where the Bible talks about De, uh, Solomon dedicating the temple. That word dedicate in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 63, is the exact same word as the word train. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we need to understand when you hear the scripture, train up a child. If you are not well versed and grounded, the last thing you are thinking about is dedication. Because you say train up, so you start getting curriculums, you start getting things. No. 
Train up a child means, number one, dedicate the child. Now, you guys have seen in this ministry over the times where a child is born, we bring them to the altar, we have a prayer of dedication, and that is good. But that is just one event. Dedication, as we see in the scripture, is not just talking about an event where you go to church and thereafter you don't think about what you did. That is not what we saw Hannah did. From this passage, Hannah took little Samuel to the temple and made a commitment that I'm going to leave him there. So the idea that God is conveying to you and I about training our children, yes, we do well to bring them to the church for a service. But that service is only intended to be a beginning yes, sir. of future and ongoing creating the atmosphere, the environment, the remembrance, letting the child know that they have been what? Dedicated, given over. Constantly reminding the child over the times, I'm your steward, God is your father. Not only is he your father, on so, so, and so a date, we physically, literally, gave you back to him. You are dedicated back to him. He owns you. That's the first meaning of training up a child. Dedication. So we do well to bring them to the sanctuary. But I want to encourage us that beyond and above that, we have an ongoing responsibility reminding them of what the sanctuary meant. And the relationship that God is seeking to establish and to develop with each of the children. Secondly, that word training also means instruction. Instruction. And this is where I'm going to comment on what the young people just did, for, the ministry they just presented to us. Powerful ministry. I don't know if you guys heard the words that they spoke to us about having lived a lie, about having believed a lie, about the fact that we've presented the wrong message. But let me say to you, and I want to encourage everyone that can, to please go to Thailand in September. If you can, I want to encourage you to do that. But let me also say to you, that in this United States, we have hardly preached the gospel. Ah, you guys are looking at me very cockeyed. Oh, I didn't say you're not hearing messages. Oh, I didn't say we don't have TBN ministry and CBN and Word Station or whatever all the names are. We have a bunch of them. But I'm saying preaching the gospel. Do you know what the meaning of the word gospel is? The word gospel is good news. Actually, actually, in the original language, do you really want to know what it means? Would you believe it if I told you? What it means in the original language is too good to be good to be true news. So you guys didn't hear me. No, I don't. What did I say? Too good to be true. 
Ah, ah, you heard me. How can you hear that and sit like that? Too good to be true good news. Too good to be true. It is so good, it's too good to be true. So, when I said to a person, the wages of sin is death, is that good news? Turn on the TV. This is the truth. I was watching Anthony Boudin. The CNN guy that travels all over the world. See, travel is my business. So anything that travels, I watch it. And he was in Madagascar. To show you how we miss the opportunity to preach the gospel. And towards the tail end of that program, they showed the church with the preacher preaching. You saw it, Brother Frank. What was the message he was preaching? Death! If you are not holy, if you are insane, if you are this. The people that are in sin already know they are in sin. That is not good news. Here is CNN giving you an opportunity to preach the gospel to the whole world. And the only message you are preaching is reminding the people, some people are not here. They are in sin. They are not holy. They are not. I said, my God. That is not good news. The good news is, now, yes, it is true. It is a fact that the wages of sin is death. It is a fact. But notice the scripture didn't end there. But the gift of God is eternal life. That is too good to be true news. It is a gift. You didn't work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to sweat for it. Why am I saying this? Train up a child in the way that they should go. Number one, dedication. We give them to God. Number two, instruction. So the question is, what kind of instruction are we giving living at home? Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Let's go there. Please, let's go there. We've not preached good news. Listen, when I was a sinner, certified, bona fide sinner, yes, I did not need anybody to tell me that what I was doing was not right. Yes, Hello, were there any sinners here before? <laughs> I must have been the only one. <laughs> but I mean, did you ever sin? Did you see a few? Oh, okay. <laughs> Did, did you need anybody to tell you that you were a sinner? <laughs> Romans chapter 1. Clearly, the Bible makes it clear. We all have conscience. You knew what you were doing was not right. Why do I need a preacher to remind me of that? Second Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this. Train up a child. Look at verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
to the one where the aroma of death leading to what? Oh my God. What does death lead to? No. Death leads to death. If I'm an aroma of death, the only thing I can bring forward is what? Death. Okay, let's read on. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to what? Parents, what aroma are you emitting at home? What fragrance are your children getting from you? You have what those kids just demonstrated. A child goes to fetch water. He trips. He didn't plan to trip. My God. It, it was not a demonic activity. Say, I'm going to punish my father and my mother. I will trip. And say, no. And then when they do that, what do you respond? Like a snake and cobra. Who is the devil? The child that tripped or the parents? Hear this, hear this. This is what Paul is saying. What fragrance did you emit when you did that? Death. And death can only produce what? Death. You see, with our lips we give certain instruction. But in our behavior, we give a different message. Yes. There is no integrity in that. There is no integrity in that. The aroma, we need to think about this. Do you not know that Jesus Christ desperately wants you and I to be the agents of his grace? And to be the carriers of that grace so that everywhere we go, if there had been death all around there, when you enter the situation, grace comes and life comes. And where does it start? At home. You cannot do it at General Motors if you are not doing it in Bethlehem. You'll be a hypocrite. Our houses are the first centers of spiritual activity that any of our children will ever encounter. What is not real to them at home will be difficult for them to, to be real at there. Yes. That's why the Bible says train up a child in the way that should go. Number one, dedicate him. Number two, instruct him. But instruction is not just what you say, it's how you live. The aroma that is coming out of us in our interactions with our children, with our husband, with our wives, with our friends, our phone conversations, they're hearing, they're listening. So I'm saying to them, God is love, but they can't get love from me as a father or a mother. Something is to change. We are called to dispense God's grace to a thirsty world. That's what we're called to do. When I saw the report in Ireland, 
At first, I was taken aback and I was upset, quite naturally. And then I think it was Simon that reminded me that this is a great opportunity. And I said to myself, you know what? It's a setback, but it's not the end. Because what our world is dying to see is the grace of God in action. So train up a child, number one means we dedicate them. They know they belong to God. We create the environment, the atmosphere to continue to help them to see and to know that they are God's children. We are stewards. Number two, we instruct them. Not just by what we say, but by how we live. There must be consistency between what we're saying and what we're displaying. They get confused when we say one thing and display something else. Yes. There's no integrity. Amen? Amen? And so I want us to begin to see ourselves as the dispensers of God's grace to a thirsty world. Amen? Amen. Number three association with the word training is the word motivate. So you have dedicate, you have instruction, and then you have motivate. Motivate meaning what? What does that mean? You know how it, I encourage, thank you. You know how it, a mother, mothers do this very well. Maybe the child is sick, the child is not eating, they find a way encouraging that child, you need to eat because when you eat, you get strength and so forth and so on, and the child begins to eat and make amen and become whole. What am I saying? We have been given the responsibility under God to not only dedicate our children to God, to not only instruct them in the things and ways of God, but also to motivate them to want to live for God. Encourage them along the way. They're going to be challenged. They're going to have peer pressure. All kinds of things around them mitigating against them in being able to do what they are called to do. It is our jobs to step beside them and say, son, girl, you can make it. You can do it. Yes, Amen. 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 Now, last Sunday, let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. So now we know what we need to do in training up a child. And, and, and as we go to Exodus 12, let me just say this. So you train them. You say, train up a child. Now, what does the word child mean? Is there age category to that? Are we talking about kids from age, what, 4 to 10? I mean, what does that mean when the Bible says turn up a child? Well, let me make it plain for you. Anyone who's still living in your house, whether they are 7 years old or 29 years old, as long as you are paying the rent, you're putting the food on the table, and they live under your domain. I would not want to insult them to say they're a child. No, that's not the intent here. But the, uh, the meaning here is as long as they are dependent on you for anything, they are under your household, they come under your jurisdiction. Yes, sir. They are still receiving training. Yes, sir. Do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, as long as that person, a child or a girl or a boy, a man or a woman or a lady, if you want to use those terms. As long as they are living with you, still depending on you, 
then why they are living with you, they are still under your jurisdiction, your responsibility. So those are the ones you are training. And the Bible encourages us that if we do it right, that when they grow up, or when they leave you, when they are independent now, they move away to start their own families. The Bible says they will not depart from it. Amen. Now, does that mean they will not have hiccups? They will not stumble along the way? They might not even get away. They, they might even get away for a while. But God is encouraging you to let you know, you train up a child in the way that he should go. When he grows old, he will not depart from it. Now, back to Exodus chapter 12. And we said this last week that we saw a catalog of Old Testament saints who, you know, did what they need to do and yet consistently we saw failures in their lives. Now, before we go to Exodus 12, let me, let me just read the scripture in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You, you don't need to turn to this one. Let me just read the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, put out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Man, I'm trying to go forward and God is pulling me back. Let me, let me make sure I establish this properly. I said, I made this statement that we have not preached the gospel in the United States. We are just now scratching the surface. We are just now beginning to understand the revelation of God's grace and his love. That's, and that's the truth. It's amazing that Martin Luther, back in the day, got a hold of one verse of scripture. The just shall live by faith. And from that one verse, what we call the reformation took place and all of a sudden protestantism was born out of Roman Catholicism and deliverance came to the entire world. Can you imagine that? One verse? One verse? What do you think will happen when we get the revelation of grace? And this is my challenge to us parents. Don't just hear what Bank Akimola is saying. The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question I'm asking you is, what I want you to take away here is, you need to go back to your houses and ask yourself, what does grace look like in this house? Yes. If you don't ask that question, you are just wasting your time. Yeah. Thank you, sir. That's where I am now. That's where this ministry is. We are going to set a reset button. Yes. You're going to hear about it in a few weeks. But you have to ask yourself the question, what does grace mean to this household? If you don't get the answer right, we're just back in religious tradition. Case in point. When you hear Amazon, using the what comes to your mind? Shipping company. Are they, are they FedEx? It's a shipping company. Online. 
I can get on her. She's my sister-in-law. She's my friend. Online shopping. Okay. But why would you shop at Amazon? Maybe I didn't ask the question properly. Why would you shop? Huh? It's convenient. No tax. No tax. What else? Customer service. Are you adding to that? Yes, I'm the one that told her. You are the one that told her. Inside the church. There's grace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Customer service. You don't have to think about it. You have Amazon. You know that you know that you know. No questions asked. You buy the goods, you don't like it, take it back. They're known for that. They're known for that. What does God expect the world to know us about grace for? When I mention Amazon, people that shop with Amazon understand shopping with Amazon. You don't have to think about it. I don't buy a thing unless it comes out of Amazon. Including some of the jeans you guys have seen me wear. <laughs> Truth. Why? I can buy it and go to sleep. They say it's going to arrive in two days. Guaranteed. I don't, there's no struggle. What does grace look like in your house? We need to think. I, I don't want you to just come to church and get happy, shout, and, and then you go home. Because you need to have a working knowledge of what God expects. Yes, sir. Clue. What was it about Jesus? Everywhere he went. So much so, the Pharisees called him the friend of sinners. Sinners didn't threaten him. Because he was confident about being carried. Are you confident about grace at work in your house? You see, because as long as we live it out here in the abstract, yeah, grace, it's just a word. No. Now, what I'm asking you, I'm asking myself. I'm asking myself the same question. I just told my wife this morning. There has to be a meaning. There has to be some workable meaning. When you heard the name Kenneth He Egan, the of blessed memory, what did he evoke? That's it. This man should know. He was a student there. Kenneth He Egan. Faith. That's it. If you're looking for a missionary, you're looking at the wrong man. If you want theology, wrong man. But you want to talk about faith? This is it. Yes, Kenneth Copeland. You hear the name? What does it stand for? You guys are whispering. You have no, your confidence. That's it. That's it. Las Vegas. I'm saying those things to invoke a thought and to get it. See, if we don't know what it should mean, what are you going to pass to your children? Yes, sir. That's true, sir. 
Because if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who would prepare for battle? First Corinthians, Paul. You won't prepare. You don't know what to prepare for. Anything goes. There are certain things that must be consistent where grace is found. I don't want you to give you an answer. You go find it. Find out what it means to you. But I'm going to come back and tell you how we're going to respond to that. Okay? That's important. Now, having said that, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Now, if you're a believer, you just saw that scripture and just read it. If all you know is the New Testament, you have an idea, but you're missing a whole boatload of information that is necessary for your edification and for your standing. The first time that word Passover was mentioned in the Bible, Thank you for Paul. My goodness. The only one in the epistles who haven't understood the Old Testament came back and drew upon the wealth of the, of the information that God has taught him to show us and to teach us things that's applicable to us now. He could have simply said, Jesus Christ has been offered for us. That would have sufficed. But he knew that if he said just that, we still will not know what Jesus' sacrifice meant. Yes. Because I'm saying this to you. You are here right now, and your family, maybe your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your children, are wayward. They are lost. They are sick. They are in poverty. Something untoward is happening to them. You need to know what God's commitment to you is. And whatever that commitment is must be grounded upon the word of God. Because the only thing God honors is his word. Yes. That's the only thing he honors. Exodus chapter 12. In verse 11. And thus you shall eat it. With a belt on your waist. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. Full stop. It is the Lord's Passover. That's the very first mention of our Passover in the entire scriptures. And as we know with the first mention principle, anytime a word is mentioned for the first time, you need to go back and study the context of it. Because within the context, you find the reality of what God is seeking or intending to bring to pass. Now, with that now, let's go back to chapter verse 1. Chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month 
shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. No matter what news you hear about your children, when that news, bad news gets to you, you need to speak back to that news. You need to take your prophetic place in the, in the mind of God. You need to say to that thing, I don't care what I'm hearing. This is the beginning of a new day. Concerning my son, concerning my daughter, concerning my wife, my husband, my father, my brother, my whoever it is. This, you, God is looking for a man or a woman who in his stead will take a position and utter some decrees. God is not going to do it. He's given you the authority to do so. He's not going to heal the sick. You will heal the sick. He's already made the provision. He's already done it. So now he's looking for enforcers. He's looking for the Clint Eastwoods of this generation, of this hour, of this time. Men and women with a 457, so to speak, in their hand. They said, now, my father's bought this. I have come to be the enforcer. God said it, and it shall come to pass. It's the beginning of a new month. It's the beginning. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what they have done. Speak back to the situation. This is a new day. <laughs> Verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, On the 10th of this month, every man... Let me stop right there for a minute. Now, we know in God there's no gender. There's neither male nor female. You hearing me? Man or woman. Born or free. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. For sure. But within the context of a family. As we read last week. Ephesians chapter 6. God is challenging us men. Not to abdicate our role and our position. Over our homes. Notice when Moses was given instruction about the Passover. There were women in the house. But he talked to the man. If this is to happen in this house, Greg, it will be because you are standing up. When the sons of Eli were messing up, God did not go to Mrs. Eli. When the sons of Samuel were messing up, God did not discuss it with Mrs. Samuel. When Eve messed up, God spoke head on with Adam. So men, I'm saying to you, we don't wear pants just so we can say we are in the new fashion. You are not a man just so you can say, look at my ID, I'm a man. No, you are a man called by God, given God's given authority to take a position, to take a decree, to stand firm upon the integrity of the word of God and to become accountable of that under God to make sure that the garden that God has given you is kept yes. and well tended. Yes. Now, in the absence of men in the home, God will honor a woman that does it. God. It's no respect of persons. He knows the job needs to get done. And will use whosoever will. But I'm just saying to us men, don't tell me about why my wife is the one that's more spiritual. What does that mean? 
Get up your lazy bone. Open your mouth and make a declaration. Speak and let God honor what he's saying. My wife is the one that's more spiritual. So you lay back, your wife is doing the praying, you just eat it. You do it, she doing it, you just eat it. Read what God says. He spoke to the men in the congregation. So I thank God that our men will take their places. In the name of Jesus. I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. If I think I can get up here and say it's a youth, then our men are going to do what they need to do. By the way, Becky, you and I, we are youths. I don't know about everybody else, but we're youths. Okay? Now, let me re- finish reading verse 3. Okay, I'm looking at the time, okay? On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself what? A lamb. Please look at the progression. The first time this lamb was introduced, Sister Lola, he was called a lamb. Verse 4. And if the house more household is too small for what? The lamb. Ah. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> All right, God, what are you up to? Before I explain it, let me go to the next one. Look at verse 5. Your what? Nobody's talking to me. Verse 3, it was what? A lamb. Verse 4, it was what? The lamb. Verse 5 is what? My God. Did you see the progression of revelation? A lamb, meaning the world needs a savior. To the imam, a Muslim, they may call him Muhammad. To the Buddhist, they find another name for him. So you have a lamb, Meaning a savior, we still don't know who he is. But when you get to the next verse, it becomes more definitive. Willem, my God, John saw him in John chapter 1 and he looked and made a pronouncement. The Lamb of God, if you are looking for a lamb, I want you to know a lamb you are looking for is not the lamb. Oh my God, hallelujah! He was a lamb, but now he has become the lamb. But that's not good enough. It's not good enough for me for him to be a lamb or for him to be the lamb. In order for him to be at work for me, he, has, he must become my lamb. So you see the progression of information. A lamb becomes the lamb to become my lamb. I don't know about you here this morning, but I'm here to tell you, he's not just a lamb to me. He's not just the lamb to me. He's my lamb. Personal possession because I have made appropriation for his provision. Yes. Therefore, he's not just a lamb, but my lamb. Yes. Woo! Glory to God. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, sir. Are you guys seeing this? Yes. Now, In that verse 3. Linda, why are you shaking your head? By the way, let me introduce Linda Soul, my personal consultant. You see, she laughed. Now, 
Let me clarify the point I made last week. In verse 3, the last part of that says, a lamb for a household. I want you to know that even though God said he wished that none should perish, rather but that he would desire for every man to be saved, God now says, I want to make a distinction between my desire and my commitment. Yes. Anyone, I'm telling you what my desire is. I want everybody. I wish they're all saved. But for you, who has made the progression from seeing a lamb to seeing the lamb and finally making the lamb your lamb, I want you to know I'm committing to you that I'm not only looking to save you, but my desire and my heart is for your entire household. He said, God, why would you make this kind of distinction? Let me give more examples from the scripture. In Exodus 25, verse 8, the Bible says, God told Israel, let them build me a tabernacle that I may dwell among them. Question, was God homeless before then? He was already present everywhere at all times. He was already available. What is that? There was a general revelation of God to the entire earth. He reigns on the just and the unjust. General revelation. But Israel, because I have loved you, and I've called you yes, sir. with a holy calling. Correct, sir. Not only do I want you to have a general revelation of who I am, I want to come and pack right, and yes. live with yes. you. Yes. And give you yes. a special revelation of who I am. Love you. Yes. yes sir. Even though God said, I wish that none should perish. But I also come to the seven knowledge. Yet in Genesis chapter 12. He went to Abraham. In you, Abe, and through your families, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Did he not know that he wants all the families to? Did he not know before that he does not wish anybody to perish? So he has a general wish, but he also zeroed in and gave Abraham the calling and the responsibility to be an agent through which the families of the earth can reached. We look in the book of Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius and the house saved. Acts chapter 16 the Philippian jailer believe you and your household and shall be saved. Why? Because in Exodus 12 we see the manifestation of the Passover lamb. It cannot happen until Jesus went to the cross. But once he went to the cross, he fulfilled everything and now it becomes available. So now the question is, I said this last week, but perhaps I didn't make it clear enough. The concept of a lamb for a house is a promise and commitment from God. However, 
it must be appropriated by each individual. All of us must come the same way. Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot abrogate that. You cannot shortcut that. You cannot circumvent that. Everyone who will be saved, even when Paul said, all Israel shall be saved, it does not mean that they will just get saved without them making a personal and responsible accounting in appropriating their salvation. Now, to make it plain, Pastor Mary read the scripture this morning, Exodus chapter 12, in verse 13. Look at what it says. Now, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. This is where the individual responsibility comes in. God said a lamb for a house. But, you have to be in the house. If on that night in Egypt, even though God has made a commitment for the house, he has made a promise for the house. If a child in that house chooses to carelessly walk out outside of the house where the blood was, the death angel will have eaten him up for gravy. You see, because the provision is if you are in the house. I'm back to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 16. Notice this. In the house of Cornelius, I don't have time to go into the scriptures. Cornelius called his household and his friends and they were in his house. And the word that Peter brought was brought to all of them at the same time. They all heard the word, saw the word, and responded to the word. And the same thing with the Philippian jailer. His household were there. What am I saying? Make no mistake about it. God has a commitment for your household. Amen. It's a promise. Amen. And the reason this is important is you need this ammunition in prayer. Amen. God, remember your word unto me. This is your word. This is your commitment. Your word will not return unto you void. You need that. However, your children need to understand. Your father, your mother, your brothers and sisters need to understand that having heard the word, and the gospel preached to them, they must respond appropriately. Yes. Did you understand that? God's made a commitment. Now we must respond to his commitment by believing it and accepting it. But in the meantime, for you as parents, I'm saying to you, don't, throw, don't give up on hope. Don't give up on hope. I don't care if it's the undope. I don't care if they are harlots. I don't care what they are on. I don't care what the sickness is. Remember the word of God. Amen. Amen. Ha! God is faithful to his own word. Amen. His word will find a way to arrest you. Amen. Hallelujah! Amen. Let me close with this. Back in Exodus. Back in Exodus chapter 12. Ah! Now, go back to that verse 4. Hear this. So at the end of verse 3, it says, a lamb for your household. Now this is why it's so important to compare scripture with scripture. 
In verse 4, notice what he said. And if, coach, if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. Next verse, in verse, no, not next verse, next sentence. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Three things we notice in that one verse. Three things. Number one, don't miss this. The size of the lamb remains the same. Number two, the size of the house may differ. If the house is too small. Did you see that? Am I making this up? Are you sure you can see this in verse 4? Number three, according to each man's needs, Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know, Brother Larry, I don't know about your lamb, <laughs> But my lamb, the one I signed up for, it does not matter how large the situation I'm, I'm faced with is. I don't need to get a bigger size lamb. Oh. The one size lamb fits all. It does not matter what the needs are. Look at what he says. He said whatever the needs are, the lamb is the same. I am talking to you this afternoon. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not have to change. He doesn't have to get bigger. He doesn't have to get smaller. Whatever your needs are, whatever they are, Jesus is one size Feel all. My God. I don't know if there are any of us in this place this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. One size fit all. Bring your problems as high as a mountain. One lamb. Bring your problem as small as a handkerchief. One lamb. Bring your problem. Five million people. One lamb. Bring your problem. Ten zillion people. One lamb. My God, what kind of a lamb is this that was good enough in Exodus that is good enough now that will be good enough for all time and eternity? His name is Jesus. J-E-S-U-S The Son of God. The Living God. The Almighty. The Savior. The Restorer. Hallelujah. Hey. And he brought him out. He brought him out. Yes. These people had been in servitude for 400 years. Yes. Yes, sir. It didn't matter how long they had been in that situation. Yes. One lamb. One lamb. Yes, if the blood of bulls and goat 
can accomplish such a feat where they came out and marched into the wilderness. And the Bible tells us as they went, Pharaoh pursued them. They came to the Red Sea. My God, that sea before them. Pharaoh and his armies behind them. And yet, because of the power of one lamb, my God, God said, go forward. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I'm saying to you, as God said, go forward. Don't look back. Don't look beside you. That God that brought you out is that God that's going to take you in. He didn't bring you out to abandon you. He didn't bring you out to leave you. He did not bring you out to reject you. God said, go forward. Not going backwards. Not retreating. But go forward. He said, Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. Moses didn't know either. Just trust God. Look unto him. Hallelujah. Who is the author and the finisher of your faith. He did it once. He can do it again. I know he will. I know he can. Oh, hallelujah. Yes. Yes. One love. One love. It's Jesus. From start to finish, it's Jesus. He saved those families then. You've saved your family now. Amen. Amen. Pastor, listen, come, come, come. Come. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody give me a mic. Close this in prayer. Pray for all of our families. From the perspective of the finished work. Jesus has finished it. The lamb has been given. We're not going back. Do you get it? Yes, sir. Do you understand this? Yes, sir. Thank you. Do you have confidence? Thank you. That they gave a lamb for your household? Yes. And therefore, no one in your house is doomed to be lost. No, sir. That's not God's plan. That's not his intention. He's made a full provision. So now, Hallelujah. receive it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we want to thank you this afternoon. We thank you for your complete work, O oh God. Your word declares that we are complete in you, who is the head of all principalities and powers. And Lord, from that vantage point, we stand, O oh God, as a people today. And we speak concerning our family. You said we are whole, we are whole. You declare, oh God, we are healed, we are healed. We declare every aspect of our family is complete in you in the name of Jesus. 